like constantly thinking about goals and the way to change and the way to improve, it creates almost like a game of leveling up. Who you hang out with is probably the most important decision you make as a human being. The journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. Welcome to the Consistent and Predictable Income Community Podcast. The CPI methodology is the only system that teaches the proprietary process of CPI, which is the key to having consistent and predictable income for salespeople without letting time, money, and relationships fall through the cracks. David Osborne is an operating partner at Keller Williams Realty and is firmly rooted in the principle of knowledge sharing and giving back. David shared some tips on setting goals effectively and becoming successful by surrounding yourself with the right people. My name is Dan Roshan. I'm the host of the CPI Podcast, which is the real estate show designed to help top producing agents leverage and scale your business, allowing you to earn more money in less time for seasoned agents to help you get to the next level of stable income and for new agents to help you find the right way to freedom and money so that each of you can reach your potential as a person and as a real estate agent, which means you'll have certainty in your future. Thanks for joining me. Enjoy the show. Today, I'm really honored to be joined with a very successful individual, David Osborne, who is an entrepreneur, he's a real estate investor, speaker, author, world traveler, wealth building coach, father, partner, and founder of more than 50 companies. Is that right, David? At least, yeah. I haven't updated it in a while, but I've created a lot of things and a lot of them have made it and a lot of them have failed too. So been busy out there. Got it. Got it. So a lot of them made it and a lot of them have failed. Yes, sir. But the ones that made it are still ticking along and making money and paying me monthly my checks. So that works for me and has a lot of great people working for me and it's, it's good. So David, take us through this journey a little bit. I mean, you're a young man and I know that you have developed a tremendous amount of wealth. Would that be an accurate thing to say? More than most and less than some. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. And a bit of modesty, which is appreciated. And so tell us about like how, like you're yeah. a multimillionaire, right? I am. Okay. How'd you become a multimillionaire? Well, I mean, everyone listening is in the best profession in the world to make money, which is real estate. No more money has been made in real estate than any other space in the history of time. You don't have to be a genius to design real estate. But if you look at the story, my dad was a lifetime soldier. When he retired, my mom got into real estate and you know, she happened to be the fifth agent at Keller Williams. So it was very early at Keller. Today we have 186,000. I joined the company when there was probably 800, maybe you know less than a thousand. I sold real estate for three years. My dad wanted me to go in the military. We were seven generations of soldiers on his side. So all the way back to the war of independence. My dad's side has been in America a long time. My mom's English, so she's brand new. And I just chose real estate. I interviewed with the Marines. I didn't like taking orders. I felt like I'd taken orders from my dad my entire life. I wasn't ready to take more. So real estate is a place I went to work and I just got into it. I didn't even know if it was a permanent stop for me. I thought it might be temporary. I'd been in tech sales before. I thought I'd end up back in tech sales. But again, I was lucky. Keller Williams was growing really fast. They needed people to go run franchises. I got selling after three years didn't work for me. So I asked what else I could do. And they said, you know, go open franchises in Dallas. So I went up with my mom and neither one of us were 
wealthy at that time. We had dad's retired pay and just went up there and started opening up offices and was terrible at it at first, but Keller Williams was patient with me. And they also didn't have a lot of choices back then because they were trying to grow too. open sure. one office after the other. And over time they got better. I got better. And then pretty soon became the number one franchise owner inside Keller Williams. So that would be the answer is to find something that works, find something that has a superstar leader in it, like Gary Keller and lock in and follow and take as many opportunities inside of that environment as you can. I think the girl from Facebook who wrote Lean In, Cheryl Sandberg, she said, if you're starting your career out, try to be part of entrepreneurial environment company because then you have a lot of opportunities. If you're in an established company that doesn't have a lot of entrepreneurial opportunities, then you end up in a political environment. So I think Keller Williams has always been entrepreneurial and that's why it's been good for me. So your original business was franchises? My original business was real estate sales. And okay. then, I mean, I had a lawn mowing company before that. So I was always kind of economically right. wired. I didn't want to skip past that. All right. Lawn mowing. Yeah. Lawn real mowing. Real estate sales. And then franchises. And then real okay. estate investments. So I bought real estate, my first investment property in 95. And I bought real estate all the way into the upswing. And then after the downswing had settled down, my second fortune was really built probably in around 2009, 10, 11, 12, when I got very aggressive in acquiring assets. I felt like I was terrified like everyone in 2009. And once I'd stabilized the bleeding in my real estate offices and it was like, okay, we're, we seem to be at the bottom and we're still making money way less than we were, but we're making some money. But I'd saved up a pretty reasonable amount of cash. I've always been pretty frugal or had been up until that point. So I had some cash and then I started dipping my toe into the investment arena in 09. Again, scared like everyone was. If you go back and look at 09, it wasn't, you know, the, the pundits on the newspaper were saying it was the great recession and life was never going to be the same. But and then in 10, I went in some more. And then in 11, I was pretty certain there was only ups ahead of us in real estate investments. So I went in as heavy as I could from 11, 12, 13, 14. And when the economy kind of slingshotted back up after they put provided all that liquidity, my old stuff came back and my new stuff came back. And that's when I reached a new sort of financial plateau or world. What type of investments are we talking about? What type of real estate? So single family homes, mostly. I probably bought and sold a thousand single family homes, but I also started investing in distressed debt. The distressed debt was on real estate. So that both of those asset classes, I would say, have been low 20% returns averaged over seven years. They're probably not now, but if you make 20% a year on a reasonable amount of money for a reasonable amount of time, you end up really compounding your money very well. And so that, yeah, single family homes and debt. We bought $120 million worth of debt so far for about 60 million and probably transacted it for about 80. So made about a $20 million profit, not all my money, but probably more than 50% of it was my money. And then we started raising funds, created a private equity fund because we didn't have enough money. And that's where we're at today. We have a private equity firm that has about 60 or 70 million under management should be at a hundred million by the end of 12 months from now. And then we have the Keller Williams. And then we have a lot of real estate investments that we've invested in all over the place. Got it. Do you recall when you acknowledged that you had earned your first million? Yeah, I do, actually. I think it was around 2001, uh, maybe 2002. And yeah, it was interesting. I didn't really appreciate it because what I think you find in life is you're always just setting the next goal, the next goal, the next goal. But one day I looked at my social security report that they put out that shows your income that you claim for the years. And I think I hit around a million. It might've been 2003, actually. I'm trying to remember exactly, but it was definitely before the crash. And yeah, I didn't appreciate it. I didn't celebrate it. I was thinking, you know, if you're investing in businesses, it costs a lot of money. So what people don't realize is, you know, 70,000 cash may sound like a lot of money until you're buying a franchise that requires 150,000 in invested capital to get it going. 
And so every dollar that was coming in was going back into franchising. And I was lucky enough to be young. I didn't have a great deal of encumbrances, dependencies. I had a child, but I didn't have a wife. I didn't have young kids. I had a kid from high school. So I didn't have a lot of weight on me economically. So I was able to just to go all in for business, which kind of suited my personality too. So I think in life to be really, really wealthy, you've got to make good decisions, little good decisions repeated every day over a lifetime. That's Jim Rohn's quote. And then you got to get a little lucky occasionally. And I've seen luck come in multiple ways. Like if you think about joining Keller Williams, that was lucky. The aggressive part of opening a bunch of franchises was me. That was my personality because I could have just opened one. A lot of guys I know that bought in back then opened one franchise. I went and opened 15 the other thing is when the downturn happened, I bought real estate, which everyone could do, right? Every one of us on this listing could have bought real estate if you had, even if you don't have capital, people are like, well, I didn't have capital and I had a bankruptcy. But if you know what you're doing and you find a good deal, there's always capital out there. That my experience is there's plenty of money out there. You just got to have the deals. And if I had better deals right now, I could raise another hundred million, but I, I'm happy with where I'm at. I don't have the deal flow yet to justify making that effort. So the deals have to come first. And if you make those good little decision on every investment property you do and every franchise you open and every hire you make and a thousand good little decisions compounded over a lifetime lead to pretty significant level of success. And then the luck on the second set of assets came when the appreciation occurred and all those assets came up in value. By the way, I know a guy that had 2000 apartments in Chicago eventually probably worth $700 million, but he start off like sleeping in the basement of his six unit apartment complex because the furnace wasn't working properly and he'd have to manually turn it on off. Maybe it was a 20 unit. I can't quite remember. But my point is that he was gritty and grindy and he just got into real estate early, got to 20, got to 40, got to 50 units, got to 100 units. And all of it was cheap, unexciting stuff in Chicago. But then we had that first big lift, which I think was sort of 96, 97, 98, 99. And that's where he made his first bunch of money. And then he refinanced all that stuff and bought more stuff. And then it went up again, like after the dot-com crash, then you got 02, 03, 04, 05, 06. And suddenly he was you know, worth a whole bunch of money. That's what happens. The luck was the appreciation in the market and the effort and the grittiness and the good decisions was how you put yourself in a position to win with luck. Now, David, you also mentioned when you were talking about the distressed assets, a debt, that you partnered with other people to be able to raise the funds. So I'm making the assumption, and I've read about you and I know of you, and I'm making the assumption that it's important that you have a belief that surrounding yourself with the right people is, is really important. Do I understand that right? That would be 100% accurate, Dan. That's exactly why we were at Tribe of Millionaires, which you can see behind me on the wall. The influence effect of the people that you hang out with, the five closest friend of yours is massive on your life. If your five closest friends are athletic, financially free, good dads, good husbands or spouses, good family men, then the odds of you being the same is extraordinarily high. If your five best friends are broke drug dealers, then the odds of you doing drugs and being broke is extraordinarily high. But it's not just the influence effect. It's also the effect of your peers, the people you seek out. I seek out intelligent, successful people that are ahead of me in the game to sit down with and ask questions, constantly kind of seeking examples that I can set myself. And Warren Buffett said, find people that you want to be like and just go ask them a bunch of questions and try to hang out with them and you'll eventually lean into that direction. So yeah, who you hang out with is probably the most important decision you make as a human being, in my opinion. I recently wrote the book, Real Estate Evolution, The 10-Step Guide to CPI, Consistent and Predictable Income for Real Estate Agents. I wrote this book because I have sold real estate since 2007 and developed an immense amount of experience and knowledge. During my journey, I've witnessed hundreds and maybe even thousands of real estate agents fail in this business. And I firmly believe that that's a shame. 
In Real Estate Evolution, I will show you the exact steps that I have used as a real estate salesperson to sell one to 15 homes every single month for the past 129 consecutive months. It took me more than two decades to learn the sales and persuasion techniques and more than one decade to master the real estate sales techniques to be able to produce the content that makes up this book. And it took me more than a year to write at a pace of three hours every single day. If you're a real estate agent and you're looking for consistent and predictable income in your business, I invite you to get the book, Real Estate Evolution. And you can get that by visiting www.therealestateevolution.com. And I'll even give it to you for free as long as you pay for the postage. What's your daily schedule like? And has it changed through your journey? Because I know right now you may not be as active as building wealth as you were 10 years ago. Is that a, an accurate assessment? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, when I started out, all I did was work. And by the way, I worked hard a lot of hours, but I didn't have the biggest engine of everybody I know. Like I could do 14 hour days. I could work a couple months without taking a day off, but I saw plenty of people that can do 20 hour days and work a year without taking a day off. That wasn't me. I have a very good, but not great engine. So yeah, I just worked at the beginning. I believe you've got to put in 20 years in 10 years. So I probably worked 20 years worth of work in 10 years compared to most people. Honestly, that's the easiest way to get ahead is to out work people, not outwork the hardest workers, just outwork the average person, which isn't that hard actually, because most people don't want to work that hard. Maybe sure. they're smarter too. I mean, there's no judgment here. If you want to chill out your whole life and mail it in, that's certainly the European model, right? So I think a lot of people do that. But from my point of view, if you work twice as hard as everyone, then you should earn almost twice as much, but also because of the law of compounding, there's an amazing compounding effect on wealth. I never thought I'd be as wealthy as I am. I didn't think I wouldn't be either, but I, you make a million bucks. You're like, oh, wow, you don't expect that to leverage it up to where I am today. So uh, today I have a lot more balance in my life. I have my second family with my 10-year-old and my three-year-old. So my typical day is I get up at five, try to keep my eyes shut till five. Sometimes it's 5.30, sometimes it's got a four in front of it. I usually flip on my Kindle and read beside my wife because I don't want to wake her up. So I sort of read a couple for 15 or 20 minutes. Then I wait till the air conditioner kicks on and hop up and grab a robe and try to get out without waking her up around 5.30 usually. I go make my green tea and I sit in the library, review my goals, review my journal, figure out where I want to go, make sure I'm on track. And then I read a little bit longer. My daughter's a big reader too. My 10-year-old, she comes down and my wife gets up in the sixes usually. And then we have breakfast. The kids go to school. I'm intermittent fasting most days, so I just watch them have breakfast and have a coffee or something. And then they go to school and I start working around eight. Sometimes I'll hop on my Peloton at 745. And so I work out in the morning for 30 minutes to an hour, depending on what's what. And then I start making my phone calls and having my calls from eight till 12. And then the day just depends on how much I've got set up. Some days it's heavy and it's all day. And some days it's more light. And if it's light, I'll go work out again or go hang out with my wife and do something with her. And if it's heavy, I just do what needs to be done. What's the longest you'll go during the workday? I would say seven hours is what I'm shooting for. I'll yeah. go 12. I mean, I'll go three days of 12 if I have to. And I've done it this year, but I'm just not into that anymore. Like I'm trying to be a good dad. That's higher priority for me. Making more money just for the sake of more money doesn't seem sensible, even though it's kind of fun. And it's kind of when you're doing it really well, you're actually getting paid more. It's kind of like being an actor that's further on in their career and you're getting bigger paychecks. So if the time I put into work now pays me more than it used to, because I know what I'm doing better than I used to, but I still think that making the choice of being with my kids is way more important. And that's probably what gives me the most joy. I saw one of your questions was what gives you the most joy. And I would say hanging out with my kids, but it also is hard. It's not like when I say joy, like the love and the oxytocin is amazing. 
playing like Superman is not something I really want to do for like two hours straight or playing Lego or what have you, but I do the best I can with that. But being around them and being with them is definitely my greatest joy right now. So it'd be stupid to just try to make more money for the sake of making money. I'm trying to work through people now and build through others. I'm definitely engaged enough to know what's going on, but I try not to have too much grindy day-to-day stuff for me. What's the biggest mistake that you would say you've made? Not buying more real estate. As much as I bought, I should have bought more. I bought my first one in 95. I didn't buy another one until 99. That was a waste of opportunity. I could have bought one home in Austin every year for three years, you know, or certainly one every other year. I would say the deals I've said no to are more annoying to me than the deals I've said yes to. Sure, the ones I've lost money on, I wish I hadn't said yes, but that would be one of my biggest mistakes. The second mistake, again, I made was I got into tech in 13 and started putting a lot of money into things I didn't understand. And that was probably a mistake too. It's cost me some money, I believe. I don't know. The story's not fully written yet, but I suspect it will cost me several million dollars to have made those decisions. And that's if you mean business success. So buy more earlier. Uh, don't buy anything that negative cash flows and stay in your lane. I think real estate's a great lane to be in. And I tried to get out of it for a while because I was tired of the one plus one equals two and a quarter. I kind of want to get $1 to turn into $10. So I went tech for a while here in Austin and invest in a lot of stupid stuff, which almost all of it has not succeeded the way the founders intended it to. And most of it just gums up my tax returns now. So that was kind of a mistake business-wise. So you mentioned success in business. How would you define success in general? Well, the simple one that I've always loved is being able to do what you want, when you want, with whom you want, right? How you want. But there's a bigger scheme in that too, which is just being a whole human being. So to me, a whole human being is looking after your health, a whole life millionaire, if you will, being a great dad, being a great husband, committing to some cause, some charitable cause. I think if every one of us fixed our own economic life first and then fixed our health and our family life, and then we found a corner of the world we cared about, whether it's clean water or childhood education or kids with disabilities or kids from trauma or anything like that, cancer. If you just take one little area and you put your attention on it and you've got your life together, then it's kind of like the plane that's got turbulence. You put the oxygen on first and now you're helping somebody that's less fortunate than you that maybe didn't have the lucky breaks you had or came from different spaces. So uh, that to me is whole life success. And that's the whole life I want to have. So take care of yourself first. And then when economically, you're healthy, spiritually, family relationship, take care of others or commit to something else. Commit, commit to, to something. Yeah. yeah. And on the way up, you should always write the checks and be engaged with something sure. a little bit. But like when I worked, I just worked. Right. And I made a yeah. lot of money. But I had my 10 years plus of just working all that time. And now I can write bigger checks because of that. So what I like to do is get behind entrepreneurial philanthropists, kind of like uh, Alan Graham here in Austin that's trying to tackle homelessness and has built the Community First Center, which is where all the homeless folks, there's 700 homes there for homeless people to live in, tiny homes, or guys at Dell's Children Hospital or Yesterday, I just was at one with the refuge for victims of child sex trafficking, which is horrible. And I didn't know much about it, but I walked away writing a pretty reasonable check to that group because I like to get behind people that are clearly passionate about the cause they're involved in and, and my money helps them do more. You already know, 87% of all real estate agents fail in this business. And you also know it doesn't have to be that way. If you're a real estate agent and you're looking for consistent and predictable income, I invite for you to get your free copy of Real Estate Evolution, the 10-step guide to CPI, consistent and predictable income for real estate agents. And you can do so when you visit www.therealestateevolution.com. I'll share with you your book that I authored to show you the way. And it's free. You just have to pay for the shipping.
Thanks. Tribal Millionaires, you mentioned that a little bit ago. So tell me a little bit more about Tribal Millionaires. So we talked about earlier the influence effect of people being around you. But if you're around people where being highly successful is normal, then your life will be more exceptional. So that's what we're trying to create. Like if it's normal to drink every Friday, you'll probably drink every Friday. If it's normal to make a million dollars, then probably you'll make a million dollars. If you're born the son of Warren Buffett and you're hanging out with Bill Gates and the Waltons, the idea that you wouldn't be worth 50 or $100 million is absurd to you, right? I just read the story of Arnold Schwarzenegger, Total Recall. What is a great book. I listened to it on audio. But when he met Maria Shriver, his wife, he said, because she was a Kennedy, like he said, most of the girls I dated, I'd say, well, I want to be the champion bodybuilder. Now I want to be a champion in Hollywood. Now I want to run for governor. And they would all be like, are you crazy? Why would you want to do that? Right. And he was then he met Maria but because she was a Kennedy. Instead of saying, why would you want to do that? She'd say, OK, what's the plan for being the number one star in Hollywood? And that's the difference between being around people that have a big vision or willing to stand for you to have excellence and success in your life and people that are not intentionally trying to hold you back. It's just that they're like, wow, that's terrifying for me. Why would you try to be so big? Why would you try to be so successful? So Tribe of Millionaires is a fable about Ethan and Ethan is a guy struggling in business. And then he meets some people that teach him some concepts like the accountability effect. And by the way, if you have a great tribe of people that will hold you accountable, you know, the right tribe of people will come along and say, hey, I noticed you look like you've added 20 pounds since I last saw you. Is that the kind of guy you want to be or whatever? That's accountability. Authenticity is another effect that comes out of a great tribe where you can be completely authentic and share your vulnerabilities and they can give you insights and advice. We have a tribe at GoBundance. And by the way, if they go to tribeofmillionaires.com, they can get the book for free. We just pay shipping and handling. But at that tribe, we have authenticity and transparency. And those guys have helped me a lot. I'm one of, I'm probably the wealthiest guy in the tribe, but guys have helped me be a better father. They give me some great advice on how to be a better husband. You know, I'm not the best husband. I'm not the best father. I'm not the, in the best physical shape. You know, I'm in really good shape, but there are guys way ahead of me in that space, guys that run Ironman and eat them up for breakfast, right? So, uh, getting from everyone because of my authenticity, my transparency and the accountability I get from them. They feed off of me. We all feed off of one another. And it, it becomes like a multiplier effect on your life when you're around the right people. So that's why we wrote Tribe of Millionaires. It's something we've been doing for 20 plus years. It's had a huge impact on us. The book is great, man. I'm really proud of it. The ghostwriter did a great job. So just to be clear, I'm not patting myself on the back. We were audio taped and then the author took it. And I mean, the real author took it and then put our names on it. If high school had been like this, I'd have been a straight A student. You just pay somebody, they write your paper for you after interviewing you. And then boom, you got a great book. So it's a really fun, easy read. And I think your listeners would enjoy it. Well, you did mention working through others. So that's uh, acceptable for sure. You know, Wealth Can't Wait took me seven years and cost uh -huh. me hundreds of thousands of dollars. And I was so stubborn and Dumb. And I love the book. I'm proud of it. But The Tribe of Millionaires took me like seven hours to be interviewed. <laughs> and then, you know, six months, the guy wrote it and boom, we got a book. I don't know why I was so stubborn on Wealth Can't Wait. I'm glad I was, though, because I now have the experience. But my goodness, leverage is a way better way to go. Got it. So you mentioned about one of your joys. What is it that you fear? What are you afraid of? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I hate to name fears because sometimes I think you destiny yourself towards them. But obviously, like anything happening to any of my kids, I remember when my oldest daughter, who's 32, went to college, I was like, make sure you cover your drink. Don't anyone slip you anything. And like, just be careful when you're at the college. I worried a lot about something harming her. Nothing ever happened. So, you know, she got her car broken into once. That's as bad as it got. That happens to everybody, I think. So that, the kids, you protective of that. I think my health, I guess, occasionally I get worried about my health and could something happen to me there. And, but what else do I worry about? I make a fool of myself all the time, so I'm not too afraid of looking a fool. 
I think I'd be fearful of being like not making my mark while I was here, not having a significant impact on life. So that's kind of a fear. What would you like to be remembered for? I would like to be remembered as a guy that lived full out. You know, when I was a kid at my school, way in the high branches of this tree, it was hard to climb. So I remember I couldn't get up there at first, but as I got bigger, I was able to climb to the top. Kids had carved their names, you know, like Kilroy or Dan or whatever was here. And I just want to leave my mark, man. I believe it's like a pebble thrown in the water and the ripples can last through time. I don't think that the mark will last forever. I'm not looking for immortality. I'm not Julius Caesar or something like that, but I would like to leave an impact on the people that I met and lived with in this lifetime. And I'd like people to remember like, yeah, that David was a positive influence on my life. And I'd like my kids to feel the same way. So David, so you've had an impressive journey. So today, I mean, you have an impressive journey in front of you as well. It's not as though you've arrived because none of us ever do arrive yet. What do you do today to continue to expand your mindset, continue to expand your belief in your, you know, just to think bigger? I'm probably one of the most purposeful people that I have met. And I think successful people usually are, but I've channeled my purposefulness into goal setting. So I'm a very active goal setter. In fact, I have a goal template at thegoaltemplate.com. People can get for free. But if you look here, and I don't know if everyone's listening or we're looking, that's my goals. So I create about 80 goals every year in the eight gardens of life. And I'm very aware that you can easily get mediocre and settled once you've achieved a certain level of success. Let's say, face it, I don't have to work a single day in the rest of my life. If somebody had given me this much money at 15, maybe I'd have just sat around playing video games for the rest of my life and smoking weed or something. I don't know. But luckily enough, I had to earn it. And even though I had some lucky breaks, I had to change myself. I had a lot of pain in the journey too. I had to change things that didn't work to become the person I am. So what I find is by constantly thinking about goals and the way to change and the way to improve and what my intentions are and my outcome goals are, it creates almost like a game of leveling up. Like how can I level up? And one of the ways I'm leveling up now, Dan, is just to realize it's not about more money for me. Sure, I'm in the game. I love business. I'm going to stay engaged in the game. But it's also about being a great husband and a great father. And everything that works in business, by the way, doesn't work on my wife. I've tried it. So if I say, we're going to charge this hill and pack your bags and we're going to grab everything and we're going to conquer that hill. I'll be halfway up the hill and look back and my whole family just sitting down there having a picnic or something. They don't want to follow me that way, right? So that skill set is something I'm really working on. It's really important to me there. My kids are very important to me as well and making sure I spend time with them. I had a realization the other day. And I'm sure I heard it somewhere that with my daughter, who's 10, I'm like, I got eight more summers before she's in college. And it might even be six, depending on how quickly she matures and probably never coming back for a summer again. So I was like, wow, I better make sure I'm maximizing my time with my daughter now. And I'm doing a better and better job of that. And I can still do better. There's health goals. I've taken my body fat from 20 down to nine in the last two years. I want to give away $100 million, so I'd like to do that. I track how much I give away most years, and I would like to figure out how to give away just a whole bunch of money. Yeah, all of these things. So I find new ways to keep myself engaged, new challenges, new big things, and that's how I keep myself growing and not just getting stale. Eight gardens of life. So I'm assuming that you just went through three of them when you talked about health goals, family, growth. And what are the other five? Career, financial, environment and tribe, which is who you hang out with and what you do. Like for instance, I take a 10 out of 10 trip with my family every year. We're going to Greece on Monday for 10 days. Lifestyle, sorry, that's lifestyle adventure. Environment tribe would be, I bought a Peloton at the beginning of the year. I've been riding it religiously. It's part of the reason I've been able to lose weight. So that would be just environment, like making it easy to have success. And then intellectual education. Oh, spiritual contribution. Spiritual, yeah. So David, if I am starting my journey, a young man and or an old man or middle-aged man and or 
woman and I have the intentionality. I desire to develop wealth. I desire to live a big life. I desire to have all those eight gardens of wealth to be able to live a 10 out of 10 for each of those. What advice would you leave me as as we finish this up? Well, the journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. So first off, don't beat yourself up for not being where you want to go. You just got to drop the self-negative talk. It doesn't serve you to be beat yourself up. And I know we're all our own worst critic. If you saw the way I talked to myself, it'd be like having just a child abuser in my own head, just beating myself when I was younger. And then I went through a lot of stuff and I just realized like when you beat yourself up, you just really keep yourself small. You got to give yourself permission to make mistakes. You got to give yourself a lot of forgiveness. The thousand steps could be setting goals, even if you fail to hit them, set them again, just keep trying to get back on, get in the right environment, go to the seminars, go to the masterminds, read the books, listen to the podcasts. Understand that you are like Michelangelo and you are also like David, the statue, and you have to chip yourself out of the stone into who you want to be. Your success in life will most mostly be a reflection of who you've become. And you can change yourself. We're all like clay. We're all plastic. You just have to consciously engage with life to become the best version of yourself you can. And if you do that, everything else will fall into place. David, I was just thanking you for your time. And I do want to respect your time. And uh, tribeofmillionaires.com is where somebody could go to get your book. And any parting words that you'd like to share? Well, thanks for having me on. And God bless everyone. and wish everyone the very best of success. Keep on doing what you're doing one step at a time. One step at a time. You'll be amazed how far you can go. Man, you're awesome. Thank you, David. Thanks, Dan. Hate the feeling of missing out and not knowing where to start? Aside from grabbing a copy of The Real Estate Evolution, the 10-step guide to CPI, we also encourage you to join our ever-growing group the Consistent and Predictable Income Community. Apply for a membership at the Consistent and Predictable Income Community on Facebook and visit us at thecpicommunity.com online to listen to our previous superstar interviews. What's up, you guys? Jeff Cohn here. I'm really excited to be interviewing Sir Dan Roshan. Dan is a top team leader in the D.C. area with Keller Williams. Dan is fantastic. He's a go-giver. He helps other real estate agents level up their business, level up their life. Dan's a very successful realtor as well as author. He just came out with a book for real estate agents to kind of help people pivot. We went through and talked about how to succeed in adversity. are still listening, it is because you align with the CPI community. That means that you love to learn. You are ambitious, qualified, smart, and professional. Mostly, you understand that you're in charge to design your life. If you do not want to wait until next week's show is posted, I invite you right now to visit www.thecpicommunity.com, which is the official website of the CPI community. There, You'll have access to eavesdrop on past conversations I've had with the top salespeople, business owners, and entrepreneurs. The content is free and there's no opt-in. If you really want to hit the ground running, I encourage you to apply on the homepage of thecpicommunity.com to become CPI certified. It is a compensated service and those that have become certified have reported back that they have more than tripled their business sales and done so in 20% less time. The CPI certification is a part of the CPI curriculum, which is the blueprint where you will learn the proprietary process of CPI, which is the key to having consistent and predictable income for salespeople without letting time, money, and relationships fall through the cracks. 
Lastly, I invite for you to share this podcast with others who are competitive, love to learn, assertive, relationship-based, self-starters, just like you, so they can also benefit. And please leave us a rating or a review and subscribe now so that you'll be notified of the next show. Thank you again. I'll see you on the next show to your success. If you're a real estate agent and you're located outside of the Washington, D.C. area and you have a client that wants to buy a home, sell a home, or invest in real estate in the Northern Virginia, Washington, D.C., Maryland area, consider to refer to me. I promise that when you do so, we'll treat them like gold, update you throughout the process, and most importantly, we'll make you look good. And we'll pay you a nice referral fee. If you're a real estate agent in the Northern Virginia, Maryland, or Washington, D.C. area, and you're seeking certainty and predictability in your business, contact me now. I'd love to be able to set up a conversation to show you how we can help you to close transactions every single month of the year. Just imagine January, February, March, April, May, every month of the year that you have income coming into your pocket to help you and your family. Hit me up on social media or email me, dan at greetingsvirginia.com. Love to set up a time to chat.